So welcome to Readers and Writers, a podcast for those who love to read and a podcast for those who love to write. I'm Colin Smith with Unlocking the Bible at the Gospel Coalition Conference. And with me here today, a dear friend, Nancy Guthrie, and we're going to talk about your book, What Grieving People Wish You Knew About What Really Helps and What Really Hurts. And uh, let me say straight away, Nancy, uh, I so appreciate this book. I find it really, really useful. Um, uh, Karen and I have been meeting uh, in the last few months with a group of folks who've all experienced the loss of a child. Oh, really? As you've experienced in your own life. And this book has been profoundly helpful. Oh, and, I'm so uh, grateful so to I'm hear that. So glad to have the chance to. And I'm speak still caught on that it. you caught me a de- called me a dear friend <laughs> because I so admire you. I so have learned so much from you these days. When people ask me, okay, so who are you listening to today? Top of my list, I say you got to listen to Colin Smith's preaching. So thank you for that. Well, I'm enjoying the chance to turn the tables on you because you've been asking me questions on other recordings in the That's past, right. and rejoicing your podcast and all of the good of it. But I get a chance to ask you some questions today, so that's great. We're thinking about um, both writing and reading. Mm -hmm. And uh, tell us a little about your ministry of writing. the books that you've produced, do you yeah. write in long stretches? Mm. Do you write in short bursts? Mm. How do you gather material? <laughs> What's the gestation oh. of a book? Talk to us a little about right. that. Well, first of all, I would have to say, I started working in Christian publishing right out of college, right. which was 1984. And so I worked with some of the best Christian writers of the day. I never dreamed I would write a book. I never had a dream to write a book. I always thought I will never know enough about one thing to write a whole book about it. (laughs) Honestly, I just couldn't imagine that. And so to be at this stage in my life, I've actually written 20 books. I can't believe it. Yeah. Uh, When I say that, I'm kind of afraid some people will say like enough already. So shut up and stop writing. But I am, I am so grateful for the privilege because I do recognize a lot of people would love the opportunity to write a book and so I'm grateful for what's been entrusted to me to to write a book but you know uh, my books have come about different ways you know my first one came about in the midst I was pregnant with a child that I knew was going to die after the death of my daughter before then And I pulled out the notes of some study I had done during my daughter's life and following her death of the book of Job. And I pulled them out, Colin, deciding I'm going to try writing about this. But honestly, I didn't anticipate anybody would want to publish it. I'd been on, having worked for a publisher, I'd been in so many publishing committee meetings where books written by people who had lost a child were submitted and rejected. I didn't anticipate they would take my book, but my writing, what it was for me, it was a way, I know you'll understand what I mean. You can read something and kind of get it, but when you process it enough to give it back out to someone else, you really take hold of it. So in those months, as I was preparing to give birth to a child that we knew would live just a very short time, writing my first book was the process of preaching those truths to myself as I prepared to walk through that again and getting a firm grip on them. So they became a part of me as I began to face that again. And then other books, you know, people would invite me to write something for which I was grateful. My husband often has noted that I think we tend to think most people write a book because they become an expert on it and then they decide to write about it. Many of my books have actually been there's been something I wanted to learn 
and not just kind of know about it, but own it, really get it. And so I've committed to write a book about it. And fortunately, publishers have been willing to trust me with that. And so the writing a, a book about it was really my own way of learning it yeah, and yeah. getting it myself. It strikes me that the, it's a slow process. Writing is slow. And, it is and, for and, me. And, so you ingest. Uh, Some in, days in the, feel wasted. Yeah, do you yeah. do you ever feel that way? Like yeah. I, I'll feel like, a, especially when I'm doing writing a book that yeah. requires a lot of biblical study, and I come upon something I don't understand. So maybe I listen to a Colin Smith sermon about it, and maybe I look on my shelf and I read some books, and I can think I spent all afternoon reading about this. I got nothing down on the page, and it feels like a waste, but it's not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe the next day you will find that something flows yes. and, uh, and, and that it's there. Do you find yourself working on sentences and agonizing over sentences or do you tend to write totally. thoughts freely and, uh, well, and come back afterwards? I wish I did more writing freely because I think some of my best writing actually comes when I write freely. Right. But when I do that, then I go back to it the right. next day and I read it yeah. again. Yeah. And then maybe a, a, two weeks later, I right. pull it out and I read it again because I constantly need to come back to it with fresh ears. Because so uh, when I rush something, yeah. which sometimes I do, especially in our blogosphere, yeah. Yeah. I write something, I'm so excited about it, I want to get it out there, I, gotta blah, blah, blah. I don't know why I get in such a hurry. And sometimes I refuse to sit on it overnight yeah. or maybe <laughs> a couple of days. And when that's the case, I always regret it. Yeah. Because I wish I'd there's said that differently. Yeah. something about coming back to it with fresh perspective and fresh ears that I haven't been right, had my head into it, that I see gaps in my argument. I just see things that either I shouldn't have said or things that need to be improved. I, I would like to become a more patient person with my writing, not rush it. Now let's talk about this uh, book, What Grieving People Wish You Knew. Now it's not only for grieving people, it's for people who want to help grieving people. It's primarily people, for people who want to help Every Christian others. really yeah. is going yes. to be in a position. Doesn't everybody know someone who's going yeah, through yeah, uh, yeah, grief? Yeah, yeah. And so uh, you're pulling out here particularly the things that we shouldn't say, and, and you have very practical suggestions about some better things that we oh, could good. say. What are some examples of uh, uh, typical things that you've heard and that others have heard that really are profoundly unhelpful, or maybe even, mm -hmm. as you say, hurtful? Yeah, well, anybody who's gone through grief will recognize them. One thing we tend to do, Colin, and I have done this, I bet you have done this, we, we interact with someone we, who has gone through a loss, and our brains automatically switch into a mode to try to find a match. Yep. And what we're trying to do is find That's some good. common ground right. to show, demonstrate that we understand. Yep. Yep. And so it's almost like our brain is a computer, it goes on a search for a match, and that's not a problem, yep. but the problem comes in, we don't really need to say it. Yes, yep. <laughs> because in the, telling someone else's story or our story of, of a loss, it's just not helpful. Yep. We think it's going to be, and we're really trying to, it's our way of letting them know, I kind of get what's going on here, and I, I'm trying to show you that I have compassion for this. But the reality is that when you're in the midst of grief, it takes up your whole insides. Yeah, right. It, you are filled up with yourself, and hopefully you'll get to the point where it's not all about you. Yeah. 
but in the beginning, it just is. And you don't have space for somebody else's experience. Yeah, it, it's your loss. And hearing, oh, oh me too, I also had as, as if it were the same, doesn't really Yeah, sort of or help, to say, I, I, I totally understand right, what yeah, you feel. Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. Maybe you've had a very similar loss, but you're not that person. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't lose the p specific person they did. So right. maybe there is a sense in which you have a... What I will sometimes say to people, sometimes actually the grieving person will say to me because they know that I've experienced loss, they'll say, well, I know you understand. Right. And I pretty quickly back say back to them, well, I've experienced loss, but it wasn't your loss. Yes, that's right? so helpful. Or yeah. I've experienced the loss of a child, but I have no idea what it's like to lose your spouse of 40 years. Right. That must be so lonely. So what I'm doing is I'm immediately turning the focus back on them. I am esteeming their grief rather than just bringing up my own stuff. So right. to interact with a grieving person, to diminish ourselves, yes. to die to ourselves, but instead to turn our focus, shine the spotlight on them and esteem their loss is a great source of comfort to someone. One of the really freeing things that I found in this book is where you say, Forget the idea that you need to fix it. Uh, aren't we fixers? Uh, yeah, that, that's the natural in, in, instinct. So talk talk about that because it, it is a. No, I've got to say something that's helpful. I've got to say well, something that's going to make it better. It's not bad to want yeah. to say something that's meaningful. Yeah. We want to say something memorable, perhaps something unique. We want to offer some insight. Yep. Sadly, sometimes that turns into offering advice. Yes. Nobody wants to hear advice in the midst of it. You know, so they don't want to hear your story. They don't want to hear advice. So what is far more meaningful is to come alongside that person, especially early on, Colin, rather than feeling like you've got to fix it, like you've got to come up with a way to frame their way of thinking about this that'll somehow make it okay. Instead, what they really want, especially in the early days, is to someone to come alongside and admit with them, this is not okay. Yeah, yeah. This this is not understandable. Yep. This is not explainable. This hurts. And I don't understand why God's plan for my life and for my loved one's life would include this. I mean, to shake your head with them, to shed tears with them, rather than quickly trying to say something right. that's put going right. to, yeah. to, to yeah. put it right. Yeah. Now, yeah. here's the thing. Hopefully you and I especially someone in your position or mine in terms of being a Christian leader or minister, hopefully the day is going to come when those deep questions they're facing, maybe they will turn to us and they'll ask us and we'll be able to talk about some of these things that will help them to make sense of it, that will help them to look up, that will help them to develop a sense of gratitude for all that God has given to them and not only focus on what he has taken away, but we earn the right to have that kind of conversation down the road right, right. by in the early days keeping quiet, by listening more than we talk, and by being willing to just come alongside and shake our heads and say, I don't understand. This yeah. is so hard. This 
This hurts so much. I can't imagine how hard this must be for you. Yeah, yeah, that is really helpful. One of the things that uh, is distinctive about the book is that throughout, you have pulled together uh, quotations from people who have walked through grief and have interacted and offered their experience and so forth. Here's an example of, uh, of one quote that's in the book where someone says, after the loss of my mother, I had many people say, they were sorry, and then comment, it has been years since my mom passed, and I still miss her. This lady says, I found that reassuring and comforting. It told me I could take my time in healing. That's really good. And, and you talk about people who are comfortable with sadness, yeah. um, as opposed to uncomfortable and, hey, we have to get away from that, and that grieving people can actually tell the difference oh, as yeah. to whether we can empathize or whether we want them simply to move on because we're not comfortable with sadness. Well, we tend to think that sadness is the enemy. Yeah. That we've that to serve somebody, to help somebody has helped them to get unsad. Right. We think, okay, I've got to cheer them up because they're sad today. Well, what we need to understand, it, it makes sense that you'd be sad. Yeah. When you lose That's good. someone who's been so valuable to you, when everything about your life has changed because that person is no longer there, sadness is an appropriate response. Right. And sadness is not a problem. In fact, sadness is an opportunity for God. In the midst of sadness, oftentimes we become more desperate for God than we have ever been before. In the midst of sadness, we can have fellowship with Jesus in a way we never could have enjoyed before because all of a sudden, here's this aspect of this person we say our lives center around, this one who said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This one who's called a man of sorrows and We've said that we want to know him and share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, sadness, here's the opportunity to get to do that. So sadness itself is not the enemy. And the other very important thing we need to understand about sadness is for the grieving person, it's our sadness that keeps us feeling close to the person who has died. That's good. What feels awful, actually, to a person who has lost someone is to begin to not feel sad because what that feels like is like a betrayal. Because when someone has died, those of us who are close to them, we feel the sense of it's out now our job to make sure nobody forgets them. Right, right. Especially the, when you're a mother or father and you've lost a child, you just think, okay, my job is the keeper of the memory. Right. And it's my job to make sure nobody forgets. And so when the day comes that I, as the mom, wake up and the first thing I think about is not my child and I realize I've gone for a while, or maybe I'm out in public and I like laugh out loud in public and all of a sudden I realize someone's looking at me and they're thinking, I, I think they're thinking, she's over it, right. she's fine. Or horror of horrors, maybe they think, she must not have really loved that child if she could be that happy, mm -hmm. right? And so we really need to understand that sadness is not the enemy and that it is sometimes those of us going through grief, I was with someone this morning who just went through the one year anniversary of his stillborn daughter's 
birth and I was asking him about that one year mark and what's that like and he talked about that week of facing that he and his wife and their living son and how many tears they shed and we just talked about the fact that most people would think that that sounds miserable but there's actually some pleasure in that because this little girl has been gone for a year and it's the sadness that gets you feeling close to her again right right and and that's what you long for in the midst of grief we just miss that person so much and the our grief is what keeps us feeling close to them yeah the chapter on heaven I found really, really helpful You've and written a insightful. few things about that, haven't you? Well, uh, one or two things about heaven, but you've written particularly about it in relation to grief. And you make the point, uh, you know, God will wipe away all tears from our eyes, but that day isn't yet. And we're not there yet. And heaven isn't a fix for everything. It, it doesn't take away the fact that there's someone missing here and perhaps missing for for many many years just say a word about that because i thought that was very very helpful and insightful i remember so vividly colin about a month after my daughter hope died uh, going out on the back patio of my house and i had such a deep ache mm. and i just remember looking up in the sky and saying out loud to god i know that she's there with you but it just feels so very far away from me. Yeah, yeah. And it feels like so long until I will see her again. Yeah. This is the limitation of being a human in the here and now, that being in the presence of Christ is very far away and these years seem long. And this is why we need the scripture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To keep reminding us, we need the scripture's perspective. What I think is the perspective of, you know, Paul, when he talks about these various trials being light and momentary. And we're just like, what are you talking about? Are you even human that you could call the sorrows of this world light and momentary? You know, I have come to think, Colin, that's because I relate it to. He tells us later that 14 years ago, yeah, and basically says, I was given a personal guided tour of heaven. So think about that. He he saw into eternity. So he's, right. he, he experienced in a sense of eternity. That's good. He saw the glory of God, yeah. that the weightiness, well, yeah. glory is a weight, yeah. right? Yeah. He saw the weightiness of the glory of God and only with the perspective of the weight of the glory of God, having seen it with his own eyes, could he say that the troubles of this world where light and only with the perspective of eternity could he say they're momentary. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really, really helpful. And it's like, this is true. And one day you will know it's true, even though it doesn't feel like that right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me read a paragraph uh, of your writing on this for, uh, uh, for the folks. Our culture wants to put the band-aid of heaven on the hurt of losing someone we love. Sometimes it seems like the people around us think that because we know the one we love is in heaven, we shouldn't be sad, but they don't understand how far away heaven feels and how long the future seems as we see before us the years we have to spend on this earth before we see the one we love again. Sometimes grieving people are told that they shouldn't be sad because the person they love is now in heaven, but such a remark ignores the deep pain and intense loneliness mm -hmm. that the grieving feel. That's yeah. so well stated. Yeah. The essence of grief, I always think that if you could, if you could put 
grief in a pot on the stove and boil it down to its essence, what would be left lingering there in the bottom of the pot would be a little pile of loneliness. That's at the heart of what grief is. It's a deep, aching, pervasive loneliness. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully what happens is as we are in God's word and as we turn to Christ in the midst of that loneliness, the Holy Spirit uses that longing for that one we love who's now in the presence of God to turn our heart toward heaven, to turn our affections, our values toward heaven so that we begin to long for that more and more. And I actually think, Colin, what happens is at first we find ourselves longing for heaven and some of us find ourselves in a crisis because we think to ourselves, I'm longing for heaven more than ever before and I suppose that's a good thing, but we find ourselves longing to see that one we love, that person maybe even more than seeing Jesus. And I think this is where the grace of God is so good. I think (laughs) that's perhaps a way he intends to use the loss of others we love in our lives. Maybe it begins that way. But as that does turn our hearts toward heaven and we begin to invest ourselves in God's word, not in pop culture, don't turn to pop culture kind of things. Don't turn to someone's book about like I went to heaven and came back to try to understand about heaven. Go to God's word and what he says about what he's doing in the world and the conclusion he's going to bring all things to in this world. And those things begin to kindle in our hearts, not just a longing to see the person that we have loved in this life who has gone to be with Christ, but Christ. Yes. Because it's going to be wonderful to see those we have loved who have gone before us. But Colin, what's going to make heaven heaven is to see Jesus, the one who has made it possible for us to enter heaven. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus himself. And even now in the midst of the sorrow of losing people we love, he's turning our hearts toward himself and that place where we will see him face to face. And that's that's a little gift that comes in a package that we never would have wanted. Right, yeah. You have a a quote from Al Martin here, um, a testimony that I just found so beautiful. Uh, He was anticipating the passing of uh, his wife and a brother wrote to him, she who will likely precede you into the immeasurable gain of the nearer presence of Christ will remain your helper as she, by her being there, will serve as a strong cord to draw and keep your affections heavenward. That is beautiful. She will remain your helper because she'll keep drawing like a strong cord your affections You know, people ask me all the time about books to recommend people going through grief. There is none that I've bought in bulk except for his book. He has a book (laughs) called Grieving, Solace, and Hope, published by Cruciform Press. And it's the one book I recommend to anyone uh, going through grief because it's not just about this going to heaven when you die, but understanding that at the heart of our hope as Christians, in the death of someone we love, the anchor of our hope is resurrection. Yeah. It yeah. all centers around resurrection. It's marvelous. And I want to commend your book. 
because it does what I think no other book actually does at a very practical level mm -hmm. to get down to the level of saying here's things that people say phrase after phrase things that get trotted out all the time often in an unthinking way here's why it's hurtful here's better things to say mm -hmm. so not just a critique it's mm -hmm. really constructive and it's not a heavy book to read it, it I, I, I felt uplifted reading it I, I thought this is helping mm -hmm. me to be more helpful to others I've had some people tell me they felt sad when they read it because they felt a sense of regret right. they saw a lot of things that they had said and yeah, done see that. that filled their heart with heaviness and I get that because I mean, even since I've written it, I've caught myself doing some of the things that I tell people not to do because sure. some of those things are very instinctual. But here's the way I would encourage someone who finds that is the case. It's never too late to go back to someone that you feel like you've blown it with in the midst of grief and say, you know what, I didn't know. I didn't understand. And I realize now the things I said probably were more hurtful than helpful. And I just want you to know I'm deeply sorry about that. And you know what? I can't tell you how the grieving person, how well they'll respond to that. There will be so much gratitude and there will be a new sense of restored friendship and a depth to that friendship because you are willing to fess up and ask forgiveness. So don't just carry around the regret. Just go to that person and say, and, and it will mean a lot to them that you you considered carefully the weight of your words and just were willing to try to make that right. Well, this is going to help a lot of people. It's called, again, What Grieving People Wish You Knew About What Really Helps and What Really Hurts. Wonderful thing to be able to take away what hurts and replace it with what helps. And uh, by Nancy Guthrie, Nancy, it's a joy to talk to you. Thank you, Carl. Thank you so much. Privilege. For more information, unlockingthebible.org.